Father, we are so thankful to be here uh, with one another. Thank you for your presence. Uh, Lord, just like the scripture, God, we are men and women that are, are prone to wonder, uh, prone to, to fall into the, the um, idol of our flesh. And so we, as we just sang, we say together here, we need you, Lord. Every day, we need you. Every hour, we need you. Every second, we need you. Every breath that we take, we need you. Lord, as we open up your scripture this morning, we need you. Holy Spirit, would you guide our heart and our times and our minds to see uh, just the truth and the beauty of who you are as our Savior. That you would use this, this book and numbers, God, to highlight your faithfulness to a lost and broken world. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, we are uh, continuing through our series through the first five books of the Bible. Uh, we're on the fourth book, Numbers. Uh, and the cool part about the first five books of the Bible is that there's no comparison to what we're going to discover in these first five books. There's no comparison of after the fall of man, then we're given this, this promise from, from God. And this promise is that he will send a rescuer to us. And then in Genesis 17, we see that he makes a, a covenant with Abraham. A covenant that promises land, people, blessing, and nation. And in the book of Numbers, we will we'll see all four of those pieces come into fruition on different levels. But it's only a progression to the fulfillment of that, that covenant. It's not the finality. So as we walk through Numbers, we're going to see bits and pieces of it, but with the, the bigger picture that it's not final yet. They start off on a journey. And so that's the land. This, this journey is that they may land and end in Canaan, the promised land. God says that each of these tribes of Israel shall hold onto its own inheritance. So that's the promise of land. The people, Jacob, Jacob's family, when they uh, left Egypt and entered into the time of Exodus, there were 70 people in the family. 430 years later, we see a census in numbers that says there's 600 uh, 603,500 people. That does not include women. That does not include children. So you see the multitude, the people have now grown. The blessing. God says, you shall be my people and I will be your God. And so even though the people did not really necessarily feel blessed all the time, we see that God is building them up. God is guiding them, protecting them, providing for them every step of the way. God never goes back on his promise. He remains faithful. And then the promise of a nation, the last promise. It says that blessed are those who bless this nation and cursed are those who curse you. The nations who recognize Israel, then they become a blessing. And those who do not recognize who Israel is as, chosen, as God's chosen people, then they will not be blessed. Now the wonderful part about all of this is that it's a progression. And what it's doing is it's actually showing us and pointing us to the fulfillment of of Jesus. Jesus is the one who will fulfill the covenant perfectly. Jesus is the blessing that we're promised in this Abrahamic covenant. He came so that we can have a, a way to be with the Father. He is the one that will multiply the people through adoption of his through his blood. The kingdom of God is the promised land. The new heaven, the new earth for all be, that who believe would come and spend eternity and worship. And the nation is that all were create all that were created 
Jew and Gentile, would be able to come and be able to enter the inherited land through Jesus. And so you see, we're going we're to look at numbers and we're going to find these four blessings and you're going to see bits and pieces of it. But it's only pointing to Jesus as the one that fulfills all of it. So, we're going to have to do this in kind of broad strokes. There's 36 chapters in Numbers, and we're going to try to do this in about 28 more minutes. Um, so, Numbers 1 through 10. Uh, they're in the beginning. They're at Mount Sinai. Their hope is for the promised land. That's, that's the goal. Uh, it's about a 14-day walk from Mount Sinai to Canaan. 14-day hike. Okay? And so they're preparing this way. There's three locations that we're going to hear about in Numbers on the way. You have Mount Sinai that begins the journey. They'll camp out there. They'll be prepared. And then they'll start this journey to Kadesh Barnea. And they'll end up in Kadesh Barnea for a while. It will take them a little bit of time to get there. But once they get there, they'll spend some time over law and rituals. And then they'll go on a 38-year journey for what would normally have been about a six-day finish to Canaan. And they'll end up in Moab. And so those are the three locations that we'll be uh, kind of stopping and, and, and thinking about today. So we're Mount Sinai, first off. A lot has happened there in Mount Sinai. After Exodus, we get there, and they're given the law. Uh, they're, they're also, at that point, uh, they're given instructions to build the, the tabernacle. They build the tabernacle there. There's, they're, they're given the covenant there. And so now they're waiting they're waiting in Mount Sinai to go on and go into the promised land. They're here for about one year. During that one year period, uh, it's a process. They're learning about what it is like to be a clean people. They're learning about uh, that there's order and there's importance to order and how they're going to exit 603, 500 men, women and children, would probably be well over a million people. How do we in a, a, an ordered fashion, leave this place and travel 14 days to Canaan? Where will the tabernacle be? Where will God be in the center of these people? And who will be in front of the tabernacle? And who will be around the tabernacle? And who will be protecting those tribes? So they're all getting their, 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 their marching orders, their, their positioning as they go. And in the preparation, we see that God's blessing them the whole time. In this one year while they're waiting in preparation, we see that, that there's a, a pillar of smoke and a pillar of fire, a pillar of smoke uh, during the day that's creating cloud coverage from the heat of the day. And a pillar of smoke that's, that's there that's going to help guide them at night. And when this smoke, uh, this pillar of smoke, this pillar of fire lifts and moves, then the people are called to go with it. It's God's GPS, right? Like God is saying, okay, you can't screw this up, right? I'm going to lift up this huge cloud. Remember, about a million people. So when this cloud moves, everyone's going to be like, oh, hey, this cloud's moving. So it's God's GPS taking them and setting them down and preparing them every step of the way. Yet, we see that people begin to complain. They don't trust God. In that time period, they're getting frustrated. They're wanting to go. They're biting at the bit. They're, they're anticipating moving from this place into the promised land. And at that point, the wilderness journey will begin. God knows their heart. And the cloud of smoke uh, lifts up and it starts heading towards Kadesh Barnea. And so some people would go, and then some people would start to complain. What would be normally about a five, five-and-a-half-day journey to Kadesh Barnea ends up being about a four, five-month journey. 
This is just a glimpse of what it's going to be like for the next 38 years. As they begin this journey, and they're already four months into it, and they're already like, why aren't we there yet? But even crazier than that is that in the first three days of the journey, we start seeing people complaining. In Exodus 16, uh, we may recall that, that God provided food for them in the way of this, this doughy-like substance called manna. We call it in the South manna, right? It's manna, but manna. And God provides this, and they begin to eat it, and they're so incredibly thankful for this herbal uh, uh, garlic bread, this dough. And they're given orders on how to cook it and when to throw it away and how long to keep it for and then how it's going to spoil. But God provides it, and they're incredibly thankful for God providing this. Their heart is, is full of gratitude that they have this substance that they can, they can now uh, partake, and it gives them energy. And so now we're, we're three days into the journey, and we're in Numbers 11, and they're starting to complain about the manna. I want to pause for a second and think, I want you to think about what manna is, what the Scripture tells us what manna is. What is manna? Well, in the Hebrew, it is means what is it. Ma means what is or na is, uh, is like a question mark or uh, please. What? Please. Explain what this, this doughy-like substance is. And as it fell from heaven, people were like, well, this is heavenly bread, but what is it? What are we eating here? And we'll see in John 6, Jesus actually talks about it. He says that, so they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And he said to them, Sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. When we're looking at the comparison of Numbers 11 and, and their, this this bread-like substance that sustained them for so long, and they didn't really know what it is. And they, they asked the question, Ma, nah, what is this? We see here that these people in the New Testament, they're sitting there and they're asking questions of Jesus. Who are you? So you see this resemblance that the manna is the bread of heaven. And Jesus says, I am the bread of heaven. I am the life. And they're asking the same question. What is this? Who are you? And they, Jesus explains to them, the Father, just like He sent the bread to provide life for you, substance for you, the Father has sent me to be with you. Those that would believe that and, and partake of me would have life. You will never die. You will have eternal life for those who believe. This is good news for some. And for some, we're still wrestling with what is this and who is this Jesus. So God listens to their complaints in Numbers 11. He gives them more than mana. He starts to give them quell. And what do they do? Just like uh, I thought about when I read this. I was like, this is like me and my sister on vacation when we were kids. I got a bag of Doritos and we're heading out for like this really long journey, four hours. Right? And we're like, Doritos? Is that all we have is Doritos? Dad, pull over. 
wants some beef jerky, right? So he pulls over, he gets us beef jerky. We eat the beef jerky. Oh, this stuff's stuck in my teeth. Gross. That's what they were doing in the desert. Is that as they traveled, mana, that's all we have. So he provides quail. Quail, gross. This, this meat is just it's a chewy substance and it's stuck in my teeth. And they continue to complain and grumble and argue. And in Numbers uh, 13, they end up, uh, after a long journey, they end up pulling into uh, Kadesh Barnea. And what happens in Numbers 13 is that Moses sends out 12 spies. He says, go out and check out what is in Negeb. We want to know how many people are there. What are the warriors like? What is the land like? What is the fruit like? What are the trees like? What is the, the, the architecture of, of with the, how they designed their city? We want to send out, we want to know information. What is their, their water source? And so they send out the 12. And it takes about 40 days. For the spies to go out and check it out and then to return. And during that 40 days, guess what the Israelites begin to do again? They begin to grumble. They begin to complain. They begin to have idol worship and fall into, into immorality once again. And so I guess the, the huge cloud <laughs> that's still hovering over them, protecting them from the baking sun. Or the, the pillar of fire that's actually protecting them from the cold of the desert that's guiding them and that's giving them direction. The fact that, that God has provided Moses to be able to, to be an ambassador, to be able to, to be a mouthpiece to the people. I'm guessing that all of that was not good enough for them. The honeymoon of being in the presence of God has now started to sizzle out. And they are wanting something else. Now, side note, remember this, going back, this is God's promise to them. God's promise is that they're going to make it into Canaan, that God promised them the land and that they're still sitting there on this pilgrimage and they're still complaining and grumbling. And that's why it's going to take 38 years because God knows their heart. God knows exactly where they are. God knows that they need a deeper dependence and reliance on Him and Him alone. And they've got to stop relying on themselves and stop relying on all the things that they look into this world for satisfaction. And so the spies come back. The first two are like, yes, this is the place. Let's go. This is the land of milk and honey. Let's go. The, the fruit is fat. It's delicious. Let's go and be a part of this society. Caleb is like, pack the bags. It's time to go. Caleb's ready to lead the troops. Let's do this. Let's go and conquer the land because God promised us this land. And then the other ten spies show up and they are given a bad report. No, no, no. We don't want to go into the land. The warriors there are huge. They'll destroy us. They'll kill us with their sword. And that grumbling spread across all of the people. And they all began to complain. And they all turned against Moses and Aaron. They're saying, why did you bring us here? Why did you bring us here to die to the sword of these, these huge warriors? I would have much rather died in the wilderness wandering around lost. I would much rather go back our, with our forefathers and be slaves in Egypt than to die at the sword of these men. God hears this complaining. And in Numbers 14, there's an interaction between the Lord and Moses. 
It says, how long will this people, these people despise me? And how long will they not believe in me in spite of all the signs that I have done among them? I will strike them with pestilence and disinherit them. I will make, a young, a, I will make of you a nation greater and mightier than they. But Moses said to the Lord, Then the Egyptians will hear of it. For you brought up this people and your might from among them. And they will tell of, of the inhabitants of this land. And they heard that you, O Lord, are in the midst of the people. For you, O Lord, are seen face to face. And your cloud stands over them. And you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Now if you kill this people as one man, then the nation who have heard of your fame will say, it is because the Lord was not able to bring this people into the land that he swore to give you and that he has killed them in the wilderness. And now, please, let the power of the Lord be great as you have promised, saying the Lord is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity and transgression. But he will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the third and fourth generation. Please pardon their iniquity of this people according to the greatness of your steadfast love, just as you have forgiven this people from Egypt until now. Then the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word, but truly as I live and as all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord, none of the men who have seen my glory and my signs that I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and yet have put me to these tests these ten times and have not obeyed my voice shall see the land that I swore to give their, for, their fathers. And none of these who despise me shall see it but my servant Caleb because he has a different spirit and has followed me fully. I will bring into the land into which he went and his descendants shall possess it. And so for the next 38 years, the Lord will wait for all the old people to die off and for the new generation to be raised up. And as they're journeying through Kadesh Barnea towards Moab for the next 38 years, they're going to learn about the laws of sacrifice, the laws of, of offerings, what should be worn in the presence of the Lord, of cleansing they're going to have their duties are going to be assigned to each tribe. How income works and proper distribution of that income. The importance of cleansing from death. And now we're in Numbers 20. That was a big, big jump. 38 years. They've been learning about all these things. And now we are in Numbers 20. 38 years have gone by. They've been wandering around in the wilderness. They have attempted to practice these laws and rituals. The older generation is gone. The new generation is raised up. Leaders are beginning, new leaders are beginning to, to take and run point. And we see Moses and Aaron. And we see they make a fatal decision. Numbers 20. It says this, the Lord. Take the staff and assemble the congregation. You and Aaron, your brother. And tell the rock before their eyes to yield its water. So you shall bring water out of the rock for them and give drink to the congregation and their cattle. And Moses took the staff from before the Lord and as he commanded him, 
And then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock. And he said to them, Here now, you rebels, shall we bring water for you out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with his staff twice. And water came, came out abundantly. And the congregation drank and their livestock. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not believe in me, to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. Wait. What? Moses has been the guy for 40 years. He's been leading these, these people. He's been a good leader. He's been obedient. He's been faithful. And now he's saying that, that God is saying, and now you won't enter into the promised land. There's two things that I want us to think about in this scenario here. Is one, just because Moses wasn't completely obedient, that does not mean that God's will will not be done. God didn't need Moses to accomplish his will. God does not need us to accomplish his will. It is an opportunity to serve, an opportunity to be obedient to the Father. Two, is that God's people, as God's people, Moses was held to a higher standard. And what seems to be a small error shows us the importance of obeying God fully. Not returning to what we think or how we want to interpret or what seems the, the most fitting for us. But that we would obey God fully. And it causes us to check our hearts. Moses here, he's frustrated. There's anger in his heart towards the people. Why do you continue to complain? Why are we continuing to have to do this? Now I'm going to have to, to strike this rock and provide this water he needed to check his heart. He wasn't obeying God fully. God said, tell the rock. And Moses struck the rock. Now, you seem like, wow, that's just really small, right? But there's the importance of obeying God fully. And Paul teaches us this in 1 Corinthians. Listen to how Paul uses this moment in history to teach us. 1 Corinthians 10. Jim read it for us earlier. For I want you to know, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased for they were overthrown in the wilderness now these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Do you see what this is saying? That the presence of Christ was with them in the wilderness. Paul's using a, an old rabbi teaching that when they were in the wilderness in the, um, for 40 years, that there was the same rock that would follow them around. And that was the rock that they would strike or talk to. And that was the rock that would provide water for them. They're in the wilderness and Christ is present with them. When we are in the wilderness, Christ is present with us. Paul's using this moment in history for what it is intended for. That we would not trust in ourselves, that we would not trust in Moses, 
We're not trusting in our spouse and in our children. And those, all of these people will fail you. But we would trust in Jesus first. And that we would have a community that comes around us, pointing us constantly to trust in Christ. That's what Paul is teaching the church at Corinth. And he's using the teaching from Numbers here that the rock was with them. Christ was present even there. And so then we go into Numbers 21. And as we move into, into, when we move into this next chapter, we see things begin, to, uh, things begin to shift. People are now pleading for God's favor in battle over the Canaanites. Aaron has just died. The Israelites are beginning to look to God for victory over these, these battles that were to come. And God granted them the first victory over the Canaanites. And immediately they began to complain. They began to grumble. And God's perfect judgment and perfect punishment is that God sends deadly vipers. Read about it in 1 Corinthians. It's there. He sends these deadly vipers and they start striking the Israelites. And people start dying left and right and the Israelites come to, to Moses and say, Moses, please go to God and ask him to take away the serpents. And so Moses goes to God and says, God, please, would you please have mercy. Take away the serpents from the midst of the people. And so God looks at Moses and he says, Moses, I want you to, to create a bronze snake. And I want you to put this bronze snake on the staff and I want you to raise it up into the air. And I want you to tell the people. That if you look to this snake, if you can see this snake, then you will be healed. That you will be saved, that you will live. And so Moses goes to the people and he breaks the bronze snake and he lifts it up and he says, If you look here, then your snake bite, you will be healed, you'll live. Now there's people dying in the tents being like, get out of here, I'm dying, just let me die in peace. What it shows is that some had to have faith to turn, to crawl, to do whatever it took to be able to look, to be able to see the bronze serpent. And God promised that if you were to see it, then you would be healed, that you would live. Does that sound familiar? John 3. Jesus is teaching an Old Testament scholar, Nicodemus. A story that he'll be very, very familiar with. He teaches him this story in John 3, starting in verse 6. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that, uh, do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but do not know where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? And Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen. But you do not receive your testimony, our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except for who, who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. 
Jesus uses this familiar, familiar story with Nicodemus, saying that he is fulfilling all of Scripture. That everything that's, that's, that is pointing to us, to the Lord in throughout the Old Testament, is pointing us to the Messiah, is pointing us to the one that's going to come and rescue us. Jesus is saying that I am going to have to be lifted up on a staff, and if people want to live, then they are going to have to do whatever it takes. As I call them to myself, then they have to look and view and believe that I've died for their sins. And they can be my people. That is good news. And in Numbers 21, we see that Jesus was there. And then in Numbers 24, they're beginning to enter into the plains of Moab. This has been 38 years now. And as they enter into the plains of Moab, they enter into a, a man's land. His name was King Balak. And the king did not want these people there. They did not, he did not want the Israelites there, and he wanted to get, uh, have a way for them to be gone. And so he hires a man called Balaam. Balaam is like this magician witchcraft character, not a believer. Okay? And he hires him, and they negotiate, and they come up with a price, and then Balaam finally, after many negotiations, agrees that, yes, I will, be, uh, I will curse them. I will curse them so bad that they'll want to flee out of your land, King Balak. And so Balaam comes up and he uh, begins to, to start cursing the Israelites. And as he opens his mouth to curse them, all he can do is utter blessings. He's trying to cuss. He's trying to, to, to put a curse on them to get them out of the land. And all he can do is utter blessings over the nation. God uses this man to, to prophesy and to speak who these people were to be. And I want to read the, the utterance of the last blessing that Balaam speaks in Numbers 24, 15 through 19. It says, The oracle of Balaam, the son of Beor, the oracle of the man whose eyes is opened, the oracle of him who hears the words of God and knows the knowledge of the Most High, who sees the vision of the Almighty, falling down with his eyes uncovered. I see him, but not now. I behold him. But not near. A star shall, shall come out of Jacob. And a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead of Moab. And break down all the sons of Sheath. Edom shall be dispo, dispossessed. Seir also. His enemies shall be dispossessed. Israel is doing valiantly. And one from Jacob shall exercise dominion. And destroy the survivors of the city. So here's this guy that's supposed to be cursing Israel and all he can do is utter a blessing over them. That is not what the king hired him for. But all he can do is utter and he's talking about the seed of Jacob. He's talking about the one that's going to come and crush the serpent's head. That's good news. That Jesus is right here in Numbers 24. In the last 12 chapters of Numbers, we see this encampment at the plain, in the plains of Moab where they're preparing to cross the Jordan and enter into Canaan. And similar as when we saw in Mount Sinai and Kadesh Barnea and now in Moab, they're given more law, they're given rules and rituals, sacrifices, but what we see is that 
There's more idol worship. There's more fleshly living. A second census is taken as they prepare to get order and enter into Canaan. Another battle is fought. Joshua is placed in front of the congregation as the successor to Moses. And then in Numbers 36, Moses speaks to his people, preparing them to enter the promised land, which he is not allowed to enter. And that's where we get to Deuteronomy's. And so next week we'll go through that. But what Moses does is that he reaffirms the covenant of God, which he gave Abraham in Genesis. There will be a land in which they will have for generations to come. There will be many people who will come and worship and be called to make God's name great. There will be a blessing who will come from the line of Abraham. And God will make you into a great nation to be a blessing. So read through Numbers. The thing that just continued to stand out in front of me is that these, this people group, these chosen people of God, that God has a bride. He's always had a bride. He's always had a people group that he's called to himself to be worshipers. And even in the wilderness, his bride was still there. And what we know is that the gates of hell and the jaws of death shall not prevail against his bride. So the church still exists. It existed then and it still exists now under the headship of the one that was leading them then and that is leading us now, the headship of Christ. The church is, though it has different functions and different leaders and different people and different objectives, sometimes we bicker and we complain and we grumble and we argue and we're tired of waiting. God remains faithful to His bride. And we are people that are not deserving of that. Yet He continues to draw us to Himself and make a way. Jesus is the bread of life that we consume today. Jesus is the water of life that we consume today so we will never thirst again. Jesus is the one that's lifted up on the cross so that we can look to Him and believe and have life. Jesus is the greatest blessing he is our savior and this has been his story the entire time what we see through numbers is that god does things through his son jesus which we can never do on our own and that's why he's a good god let's pray Jesus, thank you. Thank you for being consistent all the way through Scripture. Thank you for being our rock, God, that provides water as we thirst. God, thank you for being what sustains and and provides and nourishes our souls as we eat of you, God, of your word as it it, uh, shapes us and exposes us and challenges us. God, thank you for the reminder that we have to look to the cross. There's no other place for us to go but to come to you in complete surrender. And we confess, God, we are a people that wonder. We're prone to wonder. We're prone to, to look other places. We're prone to fall back into the patterns of unbelief. I pray that the Spirit, the, the power of the Holy Spirit, the conviction of the Holy Spirit will be quick to, to pull us back, to draw us back to the cross. 
to come to worship there and to be people that are uh, have an opportunity to make your name great and sing hallelujah. To be a people that, that point others to you. To be a church, Lord, that would rally around one another and the gospel and speak the gospel to each other in everyday life and point us to, to the cross when days are hard. Days are going to be hard. We're going to be in those moments of the wilderness. And Jesus, you're there with us. And we're so thankful that you're there with us, God. Let us be people that are quick to repent and quick to believe once again. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.